0: We can do mobile homes in parks, mobile homes on land, entire mobile home parks, a combination of all three. So there's just a lot to do and there's a lot of profit.
1: flipping projects possible all across the country if you don't know about patch of land then they are the number one company to go to for uh, projects that you're flipping uh, because they have all the money available right now um, once you get approved for your your deal and yourself as a sponsor or a borrower. Um, You're going to be funded by them. And then they go raise the money through their crowdfunding platform. So you don't have to worry about all that. They'll take care of the the money and the funding for you. You just have to worry about making sure your project's projects a success. Uh, They've got something really cool for you. So um, if you are just learning about crowdfunding, uh, they've come up with a guide. It's called the Top 10 Crowdfunding Questions Guide. And they're all the the questions that you might be asking yourself. And they're all the answers. They don't leave you hanging. They got answers too. All the answers to those those 10 crowdfunding questions. So you can go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Uh, And if you think you know everything about crowdfunding, I'd check this guide out just in case because there are some interesting aspects that you'll learn. So go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get that guide. Hi, Best Ever listeners. How you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. My name is Joe Fairless and uh, we have a wonderful guest with us today and before we get into it, in case you are tuning in for the first time, we talk all about the best real estate investing advice ever as the show would indicate. I've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank. Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad author, Jay Papazon, who actually, John, our guest today might know because they're both Austin-based. Jay Papazon out of uh, the Keller Williams Group. He's co-authored many bestsellers with Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams Group. And with us today, as I alluded to, we've got John Fedro. How you doing, John?
0: Hey, thanks, Joe. Thanks, everyone. Doing really well, actually. Very good. Thank you.
1: Nice, nice. I love to hear that. And John is joining us from Austin, Texas. He's a full-time real estate investor. and He's been full-time for 12 plus years. And here's the kicker. He's focused exclusively on mobile homes. And whenever I was asking him before the show, Kind of what type of mobile home investing he he does remind me of Forrest Gump talking about a box of chocolates. He's like he's like I do mobile homes on land. I do mobile home parks. I do mobile homes that need to be moved. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's the, I like
1: that. I'm excited to talk to you about mobile homes and learn more about that. So so uh, a, a non-real estate related fact about John before we get into it. He is a juggler as well. So he is a mobile home loving juggler that we, <laughs> that we have on our show. I bet you've never been introduced as that, have you?
0: <laughs> never have been introduced that way. No, that's <laughs> a set of skills that I usually keep to myself.
1: Well, come on. You know you bust that out at parties all the time.
0: Parties, the ladies love it. It's, you would yes. believe it. <laughs> absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Well, John, with that being said, do you want to give the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. The past 13 years uh, have been having a very good time making a, a lot of successes, making a lot of mistakes, buying, holding, and reselling um, manufactured homes, mobile homes, in parks, on land, entire mobile home parks, mobile homes that have to be moved from one piece of land over to another piece of land. Basically, if there's a seller with a mobile home uh, in the past you know, 12, 13 years, it's my goal to add value to their life, to try to help them and eventually, hopefully try to take that property and create a value with it and do something with it to make a good amount of profit.
1: So my background is in single family and then also multifamily. And I've had guests ask me before, how do you evaluate mobile homes? And I don't know if it's easier for you to talk about how you evaluate a single home and then segue into how do you evaluate a mobile home park? or if it makes more sense to kind of talk about the park and then work down. But what I'd like to do during this conversation is to have the best ever listener come away with a good understanding of if they come across an opportunity with a mobile home park, how do they run the numbers
0: on it? So can we talk about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's uh, sort of three different animals here. There's mobile homes in parks, you know, just the easiest of the easy. You're buying just the rectangle. You don't own the dirt. So there's that type of home. There's the mobile home. The rectangle, you know, box on the piece of land, half an acre, a quarter an acre, 10 acres, that you're going to buy both of them. And then there's also the entire, you know, what you were talking about just a second ago the entire mobile home park where you're actually more buying sort of a business, you're buying an income stream that is the land, the dirt, the infrastructure, some of the homes, none of the homes. So each one of those is a little bit different, Joe. The mobile homes uh, in parks, let's just start with the easiest of the easy, and typically when I am helping folks you know, investing in mobile homes, we typically start with individual homes inside parks. And it's somewhat art, it's somewhat math. We want to go ahead and purchase the home from the seller at the lowest price where the seller is still happy, we can get, good, we can get a good price and good terms. Okay. So the mobile homes in a park, there's two kind of – require. well, there's a lot of requirements actually when you buy the home. But when you're reselling it, here's sort of the, the litmus test to, to find out, you know, did I set the bar high enough? Because let's face it, your listeners right now, they don't need any education to go out – buy a mobile home and then try to resell it. Now, I mean, you can do that all day long. There's people doing it right now, in fact. But when we sell a mobile home in a park, uh, it's our goal to make all of our invested capital back in about six months or less, with a kind of a max being about 10 months or less. So you're gonna make all your money back in six months or less. When we're selling a mobile home in a park, we sell for payments, mind you. Rarely do we sell for cash. So when we sell for payments, we're trying to make all of our money back in just a few months, and then we sell for around five to 10 years worth of monthly payments coming in. So the first requirement when you resell a mobile home in a park, as far as I'm concerned, is you make your money back in 10 months max or less. And then the second criteria is that you're making $300 minimum net cash flow to you every single month. So Again, you can buy and sell all day long, but you know, set the bar high. Do really, really good deals. Make your money back as fast as you can. Make three hundred dollars minimum net cash flow to you every single month.
1: And just so I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm tracking. But yes, you want to get your all your money back within six months at at most ten months, and you're selling it on payments. So you and you're making money every month. So basically, if you sell it on, say, 10 to 15 years of payments, then I just want to state the obvious to make sure I'm tracking. Then after those eight months, it would be pure cash flow versus paying you back your original investment.
0: That is exactly correct. Yes. Okay. got it. Yeah. So that is exactly correct. And I'm glad you kind of, you know, said it again, because Those really are the numbers from the East Coast to the West Coast. Again, the folks listening, you can do a skinnier deal all day long, but don't. You know, we take risk. We are investors. We're helping the community. So let's make sure that you create a value for yourself as well. Uh, So mobile homes and parks, those are sort of the numbers that we, well, that's sort of just the tip of the iceberg with the numbers that we look for. But when you're reselling it, that's sort of the, again, that barometer of, you know, okay, did I do a good job? And like, you know, am I going to be making money? And did I set the bar high enough?
1: What are the expenses? Like, how do you, if someone says, I have a mobile home in a park for sale,
0: what numbers are you looking at? So, if somebody has a mobile home in a park for sale, there's a few different numbers that we look for. We want to know, obviously, the asking price. We want to know the lot rent. We want to know, not think, but know what buyers are paying. In almost every city, there's going to be. Way too many people that want to buy with payments. You know, most of the people that call you, you know, when you're trying to sell something for payments, are probably not that you want to sell to. You want low-risk people. So, of those risk buyers that want to make payments and put down some money, how much money do these folks have and what will they pay monthly? So you want to know what people can buy a mobile home for before you even make any offers to purchase it. So you have to know what your buyers will pay, work backwards to find out, okay, what's my maximum allowable offer? So in addition to the offer, you have to consider repairs and holding costs. What is the lot rent? Is this a senior park that only allows seniors to buy? Or is this a family park that allows everyone to buy? And is their park application process, is it very easy? Or do they require everyone to have a 700 plus credit beacon score, which is gonna make you reselling it very difficult? Or what time of year is it? Is it tax time versus you know the dead of winter? Is that going to help you or hurt you when you go and resell it? Are you having free lot rent or not having free lot rent? So there's a lot of variables to consider. And ultimately, that test that we said before, where you're making your money back in 10 months or less, all of those factors have to be accounted for. And we have to purchase the home accordingly to make sure that we get our money you know, that we sell the home, that we, excuse me, that we clean it up, we're we're holding it, and then we can resell it. And then again, still make all of your invested capital, including repairs, including holding costs, including marketing, make all that back in your first 10 months or less. So I'm not sure if I answered the question, Joe, or just confused you and your listeners even more, but I hope that that made sense.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not confused at all. That makes sense. Okay.
0: Good. Good, good. Excellent.
1: So let's talk about the mobile homes on the piece of land. So you've got an opportunity to maybe you come up. So I have a friend who recently came across a mobile home park. There's 16 mobile homes on land that the seller owns. How would you go about evaluating that deal? What are the, the numbers that you'd run? Because you mentioned how to run it on mobile homes in parks that are individual, now taking it up a level looking at mobile homes on a piece of land.
0: Okay. So there's, there's one mobile home on land and then there's multiple mobile homes on land. Uh, Sometimes those multiple mobile homes on land might be considered an actual park. And then other times it's just, you know, a parcel of land that over the years, the owner added another home and another home and another home. So there's a kind of, you know, technically some are parks and some are just homes with land. Now, the important thing to remember is that you are buying a business. And something that I would actually like to mention is that it's really quite fascinating. I've been I've spent the bulk of my time buying and selling individual mobile homes on land and parks, but I'm just now getting into the entire sort of park, you know, buying and holding mobile home parks, you know, 50 units, 100 units plus. And the thing I found out, which has been such a surprise, is that the same type of sellers that we talk to when we're talking to mobile home sellers that own individual mobile homes. You know, some of these sellers are you know, they have money and they've taken care of their property and they have prides of ownership. And then other sellers, as you can imagine, they don't have a pride of ownership and they they can't pay their bills and they mismanage their individual mobile home and they don't pay lot rent. And you know, they're sort of flaky in some respects. And it's amazing because when we're talking about mobile home parks and you were talking about your friend with the, you know, many mobile homes on land, you would think that because they own these mobile home parks that they have sort of a better business. Sense, but the thing I've been finding is that these mobile home park owners, a lot of them are, well, some of them, the ones I've been talking to, are sometimes flaky and sometimes they don't know how to pay their bills and they mismanage their property and they have deferred maintenance and they don't know what they're doing or they inherited the property. So it's just really kind of interesting first to note that, you know, depending on where you find the seller or who the seller is, this could be, you know, a turnkey investment or A complete nightmare you know of a park and or somewhere kind of in between on the spectrum so with all that said and I'm not trying to stall here (laughs) with, with all that said you are buying a business so what's included in that business if you're buying a couple mobile homes on land are you buying the mobile homes are those included in the price of the land and the park, so to speak, or are you just buying the land and the infrastructure? So we really have to know what the net operating income is, uh, and then the value of the park, that they're asking, and then what condition that that park is in. And before I go look at any mobile home park or make an offer on any mobile home park, I'm just making sure that it cash flows for me. Something big for me is that the seller is offering some type of seller-held financing. That's something I personally look for. But as far as the numbers go, a quick calculation that I usually run is that I take the cap rate that I'm expecting, and then I take the net operating income that the park is said to be making and then I divide those by one another and I take the net operating income divided by the cap rate and then I get the price of the mobile home park that it should be. And that's my first sort of kind of a test, you know, if somebody's just giving me the rough, the rough numbers of their park, I want to know, you know, tell me about your park, what's included, how risky is it and I'm going to determine what cap rate that is. And then the net operating income, you know, how much money is your park making? I'm going to divide those two and then that's the price of the park. So if, if that seller is grossly off what I think that the price of the park should be, we're not even going to talk. But if we're close, then we'll certainly talk about it and put all of our cards on the table and find out if I can help them and if you know they're looking for the type of uh, offers and help that I can provide them. So it's it's definitely some math and definitely some art as well.
1: Yeah, and so essentially you're running the numbers just like I run the numbers on multifamily. You got the cap rate and you got the NOI and you see what the the value should be and then you see how far you are. And if you're too far away, then they're crazy and you might as well try somewhere else. And if you're close, then you keep the conversation going. One thing that I think stood out and I'd love to dig deeper on whenever you're talking is you said, (laughs) what's included? You asked them, what's included? because that's not, <laughs> that's not a question I typically ask multifamily. <laughs> I pretty much know when apartments are included or they are not included. So you ask, what's included and how risky is it? And then you said, then I'll include the cap rate based on what they say. So let's dig into that. You said, what's included and how risky is it? That's what you ask. Well, you don't ask them how risky is it, but you ask them what's included, then you determine how risky it is to determine the cap rate. What What would be risky in your mind, whenever they say, hey, this is what's included or whatever the response is, what would be non-risky?
0: Absolutely. So some things that are sort of obvious would be, it may be risky if it's in a less than desirable part of town. I mean, if it's in a ghetto or if it's in a rough area of town, that's a negative. It's going to be a little tougher to sell these homes, maybe the quality of folks who are selling them or renting them to is not gonna be the most ideal. So that could make it more risky. The park, does that, is the park vacant? Does the park have maybe 10% occupancy? You know, if there's 50 homes, are there only five people in the homes? Or is it 100% occupied? So the more risky, would be the less occupied it is, the more risky it is. The less money's coming in, the more work I'm gonna have to do, the more challenges I'm gonna have to overcome with fixing some of these homes. Uh, do they have titles? Or are they just completely abandoned? Uh, do they look good? Do they not look good? What ages are they? And the infrastructure, that's something that a lot of folks don't even consider, the infrastructure of the park. Is it city water and city sewer or is it a well? in a septic tank, or a cesspool, or some sort of leach field? And then how long ago has it been inspected? So everything to do with the risk of the area and the infrastructure, the current occupancy, what's included? Are all of the homes, are all of those rectangle mobile homes, let's say there's 50 of them in the community, are all of those owned by the people living in them? Or are they abandoned? Or are they rented? So do I want a mobile home park that has renters in it? Or do I want a mobile home park that has all owners in it? So with all that math, I don't mind taking on a project or a headache, I just wanna make sure that I'm going to get compensated for it. So the more risk I'm taking, the higher the cap rate should be, and the more turnkey that the park is, you know, I'm gonna put my money here, the park's been running right for the last 10 years, they've had consistent income for the last 10 years, everything looks beautiful. It's a five-star park. I'm going to have less of a cap rate. I'm going to pay a higher price for that park, but then it's much less of a risk. So it's a lower cap rate.
1: When you're talking about the infrastructure of the park, you mentioned the city water and a couple other scenarios. If it's not city water, what's good and what's
0: bad? Well, and I, I suppose that's subjective. All my experience, all my training has taught me that the city hookups. City sewer, city water, those are preferable. They're the most modern. They're the most up to date. A lot of times the city takes care of them. Also, the roads themselves are they city roads or are they private roads? Are the cities going to take care of them and manage them and manage the street lights there? Or are they going to plow during the wintertime if there's snow? Or is it all your property? So, going back to the infrastructure, the well, city, excuse me, city water and city sewer are preferable. And then what's more risky is you get into a lagoon or a cesspool or a septic tank, something with sort of a life to it or a lifespan to it that you're responsible for. That could break. It costs hundreds or yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars to uh, repair. So definitely, uh, without a doubt, metered individual water from the city and then sewer with the city as well is uh, preferable.
1: Who would be doing the due diligence on these mobile home parks? Are they hired third-party experts similar to like inspection companies for multifamily? Or is it you've just got to know it uh, and you're not going to be able to get third-party reports on all sorts of the, the things that you just mentioned that you look for?
0: Great question. No, there's companies that will come out and give you appraised values They'll give you the values for each of the homes that they, that they feel that the homes are worth, what the park is worth, the money that the park is bringing in, and then therefore kind of an entire picture of this is the community, this is the city, this is the way that the population is going, this is the park, this is the infrastructure. So with that whole picture, you know, here's what we price the uh, home at. And yes, there's companies that do that. There are separate appraisal companies. There are independent brokers that have that specifically list mobile home parks. However, the due diligence uh, by far is on the person buying the park. Uh, There are so many moving parts. I mean, remember when I went, I, I explained a little bit of the moving parks, just buying an individual mobile home in a park. Now you're talking about buying the entire park. So there's just, we really want... 60 days or so maybe even 90 days to do all of our due diligence we have to make sure that there's no code violations that the park really is a park that the EPA is involved and there's nothing damage to the soil there's no problem that we're gonna run into there later we want to get the infrastructure making sure that that is on point and we're not we're not walking into anything that we don't expect so yes there are companies out there some individual some with brokers but ultimately, it's a responsibility, is, in my opinion, is going to be on the person purchasing the park.
1: Whenever I'm looking at multifamily, I ask for the P&L statement for the last two to three years, the current rent roll, And then based on that, assuming I know the market, based on that, I can at least come up with – a ballpark valuation uh, similar to what you what you just you know said when you take the, the cap rate and the NOI. What are the documents that you must have from the seller in order to evaluate the mobile home
0: park? There's not many to get into a contract with a park. I would want to see the P and L report for the last few years. I would have a number of questions for the seller. Uh, and then that would allow me enough to get into a contract with the park to then go out there, inspect everything, go further into the rent rolls and make verify, make sure that everything is, ac- is accurate and not fraudulent. And then I would do my own surveys, I would do my own appraisals, and I would make sure that the home and the parks were just what I think I was buying. So there's not too much else needed from the sellers in order to go under contract and, and move forward with this.
1: John, what's your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: This is something that happened maybe about 5 or 6 years into investing where I was working with sellers and I was do I was, you know, having all the hats, I was wearing everything, negotiating and marketing and doing quite a few deals a a, a month, but I was stressed out, I was full of anxiety my word-of-mouth advertising wasn't the best in my my frame of reference how i was talking and thinking about sellers was it was me as the investor versus a seller and you know it was kind of a zero zero-sum game where if if i lose money they make money if i don't make enough enough money they make more money and it was always kind of a win-lose mindset well when i changed my thinking and this is just regarding mobile homes inside parks mobile homes on private land When I changed my thinking to instead of it's us versus the seller, but instead it's the seller and you as the investor joining forces to then sell their unwanted property, things became so much easier. I started talking to sellers and educating them. My word of mouth went through the roof. I was getting referrals. Sellers would talk to other sellers, would talk to other mobile homeowners. I was getting great word of mouth. People were liking and trusting me more because I didn't have only my wants and needs in mind I had the sellers wants and needs actually in mind so the the biggest advice I would say is that sort of paradigm shift where you're actually helping people you're adding value to society you're educating sellers because ultimately sellers want two things they want the most money they can get in the shortest period of time so there's no way to strong arm a seller or you know fool them so Treating sellers very fairly and educating them, letting them know how you can help, thinking win-win, that's sort of the tip of the iceberg. But that is the biggest, I would say, paradigm shift thing that's changed my business in the past.
1: Absolutely. And s- same with me from um, – I-, I remember Chris Closier from in Memphis Invest He's got, he's actually got like two or three companies now. I think there's like Dallas Invest and maybe another. But he, he mentioned on one of the very earlier episodes to focus on the relationship, not the transaction. And once he changed his mindset from focusing on the person and Building a relationship versus this one-off transaction, because quite frankly, as as you know, real estate is such a small world. And when you when you do a good deal with somebody, then they're going to want to do more positive word of mouth, as you mentioned. And I know from my advertising days that the number one factor in purchase intent is word of mouth referral. So if you if somebody that you know refers you to somebody else, or then you're going to be highly likely to purchase, or at least that's going to set you up the most to want to purchase versus any other referral. So that's, that's great. And I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, changing the investor versus the seller mentality to thinking the seller and you are joining forces. So are you ready for the best ever lightning round?
0: Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah,
1: let's do that. All right. Well, hopefully it will be fun. I'm imagining it will be. <laughs> First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Crowdfunding. You've heard about it. Now it's time for you to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor today, Patch of Land, they're the leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to all of your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and get your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's p-a-t-c-h-o-f-l-a-n-d.com forward slash best ever. John, what's the best ever book you've read?
0: You know what? I read a handful of books every single year. I, I reread them. Uh, and one of them is an ultimate classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's not very real estate related specifically, but I cannot tell you. I mean, mobile home investing, is it's a real estate business for sure, but by far, this is a people business. So that book has really, really I read it every year. It definitely applies to real estate investing, I feel.
1: Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it?
0: I made a recent uh, article and video about uh, mistakes, and I used to kick myself and just—I mean—cause myself stress and you know, anxiety and pain if I missed a deal or i, I was too greedy and I—I passed on a deal or if I just was in slow motion and I let a deal pass by me or if I did something based on emotion versus logic, and I would always kick myself and I had a tendency to sort of not let things go, and then I made this change where you know that's not helping anyone. So when you make make a mistake, learn from that mistake, wear it as a badge of honor, and then never make that mistake again. Really be conscious of it and say, you know, what did I do wrong? What will I do in the future? And how will I never make this mistake again? Because a mistake one time is fine. Just don't repeat it. And that's, I would say, my advice on that. What's the best ever deal you've done? My. first deal, I would say my first deal. I don't know if a lot of people say that, but I'm gonna say my very first one, just because it opened my eyes. It got my head out of the sand. Uh, I didn't even know I was buying a mobile home, actually. Well, I didn't know when I was driving there, but uh, ended up purchasing a mobile home. It was in a family park, it was my very first deal. And I bought it for $3,000, where I didn't have the $3,000. I made the seller 10 monthly payments of $300 and bought a beautiful double-wide mobile home. It was on a lake, in a park, in a family community, four bedrooms, two bath, central heat and air. Just amazing. Ended up selling it the first time for the high 20s. Got it back after a few years. Resold it again for the mid-30s. And then uh, actually just, uh, what, a year or so ago, it paid off finally. And... Yeah. That was the best deal. Again, just because it opened my eyes. I've done more profitable ones since then, but definitely by far that was like the light bulb that, you know, are you kidding me? Mobile homes actually did this? Like what? Like, is no one else seeing this kind of thing? <laughs> 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 yeah. Not that many people still
1: are seeing it, my friend. I, I, I don't know too many mobile home investors, but uh, perhaps after this episode, there's going to be a lot more. What's the best ever project you're most excited about right now?
0: Ooh. You know I get a lot of value from the folks that I help. Um, it was one thing to do this myself uh, you know in Florida and then moving over to Texas and oh you know I moved an area I can still do this hey great but actually helping folks across the country has been just eye-opening seeing them go from you know full-time careers to now full-time mobile home investing and you, you asked the project I'm working on now I'm actually setting up sort of a mastermind group to meet a little bit later this year so I'm very excited about that finally you know meet everyone face-to-face and we're going to get together and do a lot of you know bigger things so just that you know working with people sorting that like team team effort real estate investing i feel is definitely not like a lone wolf activity you know a rising rising tide raises all ships so to speak so
1: yeah absolutely what's the best ever way you like to give back
0: Ooh, I like to volunteer my time. I'm on a Big Brothers Big Sisters. Um, I volunteer at a uh, this like build a bike sort of place here in town. Um, so those are two ways that I that I give back. In addition to that, I do like to. It's sort of my mission that I want to start. And, and and mostly just with friends and acquaintances. I don't want to be that annoying guy that just is talking to people in the Walmart checkout line. But I love reading and I want to promote reading to people. I think reading and, and education. I'm not too big on school, but I'm such a big believer in education. So I'm really a big proponent in, of a, in, in whenever somebody kind of says something to me, I'll be like, oh, you know what book you should read? Or, oh, you know, it would be some really good advice that I learned from this book. And then sort of, you know, trying to get people to read more and better themselves that way. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far? Ooh, biggest mistake. Man, that's good. Oh, okay. This is a good one. So maybe, when was this? During Katrina, I got, uh, I was in Florida at the time, investing in mobile homes, you know, had a nice, uh, you know, had the portfolio that I did, was full-time, you know, already number, number of deals under my belt. No, I knew mobile homes, that was my thing already. But after Katrina, somebody put some sort of seeds in my ear about, hey, you should go out to Mississippi and rehab some homes. Basically, get into something 500 miles away that you know nothing about using your money and your credit, and then having these other guys manage it and repair it, and you'll make all this money. And I just believe that in my greed glands and my, you know, just were pulsing, and I'm like, ooh, this sounds so good easy money so i put up a bunch of my money i put up a bunch of my credit we bought four homes out in mississippi and contractors took advantage the people who i was working with that i was friends with didn't pull their weight as far as i feel we lost money we were able to get out of the homes without you know losing our shirt so to speak but if it wasn't for mobile homes i don't know what i'd be doing maybe you know going back to doing you know the mundane jobs that I had before. So mobile homes definitely kept me safe, but I would say the mistake was doing something out of emotion and also sort of following the shiny object. You know, I was doing very well with mobile homes, there was no reason to diversify, especially that big and that far away, but I did and I learned a really good lesson and it was humbling and yeah, that was a, just a, something I take with me for sure. And that caused you know so much stress and anxiety, and I lived through that, which again you know made me a stronger. Uh, I feel more powerful and experienced investor. So ultimately, that mistake led to something good. You know, I was able to find what's the silver lining, and there was actually quite a big silver lining. So yeah,
1: absolutely, yeah. And lastly, actually, I have one more question after this, but. You made me kind of think about something. Why are you focused on mobile homes, and why have you stayed focused on mobile homes, just you personally? Because you just talked about rehab and flipping, and how that didn't work out too well for you. Just because you know many, you know the, all the factories just listed. But why are you sticking with mobile homes for you personally?
0: I'd say the big negatives of mobile homes are that. In most areas you really can't fast turn them for cash or bank financing in some areas you absolutely can and if the mobile homes on land and FHA approvable you can definitely resell it and make you know a 10 20 50 you know thousand dollar payday but that really was never that exciting to me so or really wasn't never it wasn't ever like too big of a deal for me I wanted cash flow so mobile homes the competition is unbelievably low, and you mentioned that there's going to be more people, you know, that sort of take on this mobile home investing after they listen to this podcast. And I, I have a, you know, I don't want to be devil's advocate, but I've been sort of talking about mobile home investing for the past decade, and I can tell you that there's still so much opportunity out there. There's way too many deals for, like, you know, an average investor in most in most areas. So the competition is super low. Bank financing sucks our buyers that are out there are flaky. So that kind of still goes along the line of that. There's just very little competition from buyers, from end users, from other investors, mobile home sellers. It's sort of interesting. I I read a book that, you know how they say when you're going to talk to a seller of a single family home. You're going to come in there on your you know, white knight or a white horse and you're going to be that knight in, shi- in shining armor just to save, to save the day. And that, I really never found that with single family homes just because there's so much competition. But with mobile homes, sellers are actually happy to talk to us because we know what we're doing. We can close quickly. You know, you don't need a lot of money. I made a video that I'm very, I stand by. And from the East Coast to the West Coast, you can get started in this business with two to five thousand dollars will be absolutely enough to get you started and kind of move forward at a pretty steady pace so just there's not that many disadvantages and once you sort of plant your flag once you make a name for yourself you become well known so in the local Florida market that I'm in in the local Texas market that I'm in around the country and other markets I'm fairly well known by park managers and owners and brokers and investors so I get leads sent to me and I'm just a big believer in specializing anyway. So mobile homes, there's not really a ceiling. We can do mobile homes in parks, mobile homes on land, entire mobile home parks, a combination of all three. So there's just a lot to do and there's a lot of profit.
1: You were ending on the Forrest Gump analogy, so everyone got the little taste of what I heard before we start recording. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think what would be good is... I think I'd like to have you on another episode, a new segment that I'm doing called Situation Saturday, where we pose a question and you talk us through kind of what that what that situation, the how you would approach the situation. And I think what would be nice is, in reference to that video that you mentioned, and we'll uh, definitely give you an opportunity to tell the best ever listeners where they can watch it, but I think what would be nice is uh, perhaps go through that sits that scenario where if you've got $2000 how do you get started what's a step by step process
0: I'd love to that'd be great
1: yeah I, th- I think that'd be that'd be a good episode so lastly where can the best ever listeners find you
0: Oh sure yeah they can find me at mobilehomeinvesting.net that's mobilehomeinvesting.net and there's a ton of free content there they can get a hold of me tons of videos yeah if you, and if you yeah questions concerns thoughts you can all route through there
1: sweet All right, and that will be in the show notes, mobilehomeinvesting.net. This has been a a wonderfully educational conversation about chocolate and mobile home, (laughs) mobile home parks, I'm kidding, mobile home parks. I mean, talking through how you evaluate them. I mean, it's from a high level, it's exactly like apartments, NOI, cap rate, there's your value. But from a more granular level, you're looking at different things that multifamily investors are not looking at. One of the questions is what's included in this offer, uh, which is really, it's... It's a question that you ask, but it's not as important in apartments as it is mobile homes. When you buy a park and learning, you know all the, all the different risk associations and factors that are involved, like part of town, like you said, occupancy. Within that occupancy, are they owners or are they renters of their homes? Do they have titles or are they are they abandoned? The infrastructure of the park, city water, sewer, uh, is preferable. You said city roads or private roads within street lights. Are they going to plow during the winter time? All of those types of questions, and that's going to help you determine what the offer is. And then you know, going into due diligence, you mentioned is it even a park? I don't know what that means exactly, but you'll want to do that during the due diligence. I would assume a mobile home park would be a park, but I, I think that's clearly something you need to verify. Uh, no code violations, no to so all, all sorts of things that you need to look at. And when you initially determine the offer price uh, to get under contract, you said you just need the, the P&L for the last few years and that should get you enough to get under contract. Then you're going to have a whole host of questions or you'll ask those questions before putting it under contract. But really, that's that's the main statement that you need. And then lastly, don't chase the shiny object. So thanks so much for being on the show. Just in case it's a, there's a a burning desire for the best ever listener to have that park is a park or not a park question answered. Can you answer that when you, when you said, is the park even a park? What does that mean?
0: Sure. Sure. I've been fooled. I've been fooled twice now and all the poems are on all the, on all the parks that I've looked at. And, A mobile home park can be zoned an actual mobile home park it's permitted for you know 50 lots and no matter what happens that mobile home park if the city changes if the government collapses or something changes you know that park is still going to be a park it's still going to be zoned for 50 spaces you bring out homes you move them in you don't have homes there for 10 years you still bring them in it's a park it's got 50 spaces that's what the permit says versus a parcel of land that you know, Joe owner, you know, just, I take offense to that over the, I'm so sorry. I know. It's like, <laughs> oh, That's like pause. I was like, Oh, you know, Joe owner, he owns a mobile home on a piece of land and he, you know, and it's, it's a, an acre of land and you can have, let's say three other homes there. So he has just one acre of land with four mobile homes on it, or maybe six mobile homes or maybe eight mobile homes, but it's not zoned to park. So here's really where the, the main part of the trouble could lie where I was very close to closing on a property and then I finally got word from the you know person in charge down at the city after being told two times incorrectly that this was a park and that there was a permit for it. I learned that it was not a park it was just two parcels of land with eight mobile homes on them. So four mobile homes on each parcel. Now the reason why that's important is because if I was to remove any of those homes because they were from the 70s and of course, you know, eventually I want to move them off. I want to bring in new homes. I want to sell them. I want to bring in new homes. So eventually I was going to remove those and bring them back. Well, the city had changed its rules and that park that was, or that piece of land that was grandfathered to have those eight parts or eight homes now could only have one per lot. So if I removed a home, I could not bring it back in. So that's one of the differences of why you would want something Uh, an official established park with a permit down at city hall versus a parcel of land that legally holds, you know, five, 10, however many homes. That's the main, that's sort of the difference.
1: Yes, it is. John, thanks so much for being on the show.
0: Very happy. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.